So good morning. We are continuing a series called People of Christmas. We're talking about a guy today named Joe, Joseph. He is, you probably have all heard of him. He's usually attached to the the name Mary. So it's Mary and Joseph, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And we're going to be covering some kind of uh, intense things. We're going to be covering um, birth. We're going to be covering engagement and divorce. But the one thing that I have to say, since I have been ministering, since I have been counseling people, walking with people, um, talking with people, there is one predominant theme that I continue to see again and again and again and again and again. This theme seems to be ubiquitous. It seems to, be, it seems to permeate everybody that I come in contact with. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about yet, but we are talking about a guy named Joseph, and the issue is daddy issues. Uh, daddy issues. You know, that, that term, um, it primarily relates to women now, but how many of you know that our dads can have a major impact in our lives? How many of you know that? You know, this is a Christmas season and, and everybody's having parties, going to parties and everything. And um, apparently there are some etiquette that you're supposed to follow. Certain topics you're not supposed to discuss, apparently. You're not supposed to discuss politics. Um, I guess you're not supposed to discuss finances, like you're not supposed to ask people how much they make a year or what their pin is. Um, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to. You're not supposed to talk about spirituality. You're not supposed to talk about religion. I always break that one. But another thing that you're apparently not supposed to talk about, which a lot of people don't uh, uh, adhere to, but that is childbirth. Everybody who has not had a child, which includes most men, and a lot of people that haven't had children. <laughs> they get super uncomfortable when you talk about birth, right? Childbirth. But women who've had babies just really want to talk about childbirth because it's such an intense thing. It's such an incredible, miraculous, painful, horrible, awesome, weird thing. And they want to talk about it. So I'm not going to talk about it. So you're welcome. I am, however, going to mention that I did have a 10-pound, 9.5-ounce baby. Yes, and of course, the same week that I had that size baby, a woman up in San Francisco had a 14-pound, 8-ounce baby. So I thought, I'm going to look this up. So I looked it up. Biggest baby ever in the history, 23 pounds. Dude, I cooked a 23-pound turkey, and I could barely lift it out of the oven. I mean, it's like, that is a big, big baby. And so I think the reason that, that women like to talk about this is because it's such a unique thing. And even in the Bible, there are some really unique situations, unique situations of, of women who've been barren, suddenly conceiving children. Sarah, for example. You know, think about that. God spoke to Abraham, and then they had to wait for dozens and dozens of years, and then Sarah is supposedly in her 90s and conceives a child. And then also, if you fast forward to the New Testament, we talked about this last week, we talked about Elizabeth, who was the, 
the woman who bore John the Baptist, who's the guy who, who said, prepare a way for the Lord. He's the guy that said, you know, make straight the paths. He's the guy who went out into the wilderness and was the forerunner to Jesus. But his mom was old. His mom was super old, Elizabeth. And when I started thinking about this, I thought, well, now these women were old, but their husbands were old too. Now, we're not going to get into the physical implications of that, but that's a very interesting thing to consider, that these women conceived children in their 90s. It's just a bizarre concept when you think about it. But the most unique of all the births in the Bible, the most unique is the birth of Jesus Christ. Why? Because his mother was actually a virgin. His mother had never slept with a man. She had never been with a man. And it is, it is impossible to conceive a child without sleeping with someone, unless, of course, with, I guess, in vitro fertilization, it is possible scientifically. But in the history of the world, there has never been another case of a woman who is apart from science, apart from in vitro fertilization, actually conceiving a child. This was, this was completely supernatural. Because it, the angel, when the angel came to Mary, the angel said, the, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and you're going to conceive a child. So now when you think about this, you think about the implications of Mary and Joseph. So who's this guy? Who's the guy that God chose to raise his son? Because God sent Jesus Christ. It says that he so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So God sent his only son, and his son had to be raised by somebody. So today we're going to kind of explore who is this Joseph guy? What was he like? What does the Bible have to say about him? We're going to learn some things about his character. We're going to learn some things about the history. Um, but more importantly, today we are going to be talking about our own issues, our own daddy issues. We're going to be talking about how our relationship with our earthly fathers has impacted us and affected us. And I do believe that the Holy Spirit is promising that he is going to bring some freedom today. He is going to set some captives free, some people who have been bound for years and years and years. I believe the Lord is here to set people free. Anybody else with me on that? Anybody believe that? It says that, that it is for freedom he has set us free. His promise is he has come to this earth to open the eyes of the blind, to set captives free. So I believe that he's going to do that. Would you pray with me before we get into this word? Father, we, we thank you for your ways. All your ways are perfect. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning. We want to hear from you. Lord, no matter what I say, I ask that you would speak through me. You would speak deep into the hearts of those who need to hear from you this morning. Set people free, Lord. Bring a sense of hope and a sense of freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so who is this guy? 
Who's Joseph? Well, he's the guy that the heavenly father chose to adopt his son, essentially. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about Joseph, but what it does say about him, it says that he was a descendant of David. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, Joseph was a descendant of King David. And so that's why he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's home. The prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, another word for Messiah is the Christ or the Savior or the one who comes to save people from their sins. It's, it says of him years and years before, that he was going to come from the house and lineage of David, which means that if Jesus would have done a 23andMe, well, actually, if Jesus would have done a 23andMe, Joseph would not have been the father. <laughs> but the lineage of David, you know, it's really interesting because, it's, because the genealogy is in the book of Matthew because they're really into genealogy. Family lines were very, very important. But that's the genealogy of Joseph. Isn't that interesting? Because Joseph wasn't really the biological father of Jesus Christ. There was no biological father. It was a supernatural. It was the heavenly father. And so, but it did say that he would come from the line of David. So both Joseph and Mary apparently came from the line of David. It says in Matthew 1.16, Jacob was a father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, who's called the Messiah. So when they talk about them being married, they actually were just engaged. And we're going to get into this a little bit later, and we're going to talk about really what the culture had, uh, what the cultural differences were between then and now. Um, another thing we know about Joseph, he was a craftsman, a tecton, which means he probably worked with stone and with wood. And that's what he trained Jesus to do. Jesus, uh, Joseph was Jesus' adoptive father. Most of the references to Joseph, there are a few references we'll get into a little later, but most of them have to do with his relationship with other people. He's the, the um, husband of Mary, and he was known as the father... The, um, Jesus was known as the son of Joseph, it says in Luke 3.23. Joseph was probably a super normal guy. Not that, I mean, not that he wasn't amazing in and of himself, but as far as worldly standards, like he didn't, there was nothing exceptional about him where he lived. They just thought he was just this normal guy. It said in Luke 4.22, um, Jesus had gotten up and spoken and people were marveling. And it says, and they, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his, Jesus's lips. How can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, they were marveling. They're like, Joseph's just like an ordinary guy. Why, how, how, how did this guy learn so much? And then it says in John 6, 42, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Again, the reference is that Jesus is the son of Joseph. He was known as the son of Joseph, even though he wasn't actually even related to him. It says, we know his father and his mother, but how can he say, I came down from heaven? So Joseph had a great character. Joseph was a really good guy. He was an upstanding guy. He was righteous. It says, Matthew 1.18, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, we just skip over this. 
she became pregnant. Go back. Before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. He was a, he was a really good guy. He was a really solid guy. And he didn't want to dis- disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, in Judaism, there were two different phases when you were engaged. There's the Kedushin, which is the 12-month period. These engagements were long. And so Mary and Joseph were in this period. If a man were to find out that his wife or bride or his betrothed, they, they called it wife at the time because they were actually legally married, even though they didn't live together and they couldn't sleep together. They couldn't have any physical contact, but they were still considered legally married. But what they would do, it, what this means here is it's saying that he could have taken her down to the the city center, and he could have accused her and say, I thought that she was this way. I thought she was pure. I thought she was a virgin, and now I'm finding out she's pregnant. And this was a serious offense. As a matter of fact, it says in Deuteronomy 22.20, it says, uh, suppose that a man's accusations are true, and he can show that she was not a virgin. This is talking about his wife. The woman must be taken to the door of her father's home, and there the men of the town must stone her to death. For she has committed a disgraceful crime in Israel by being promiscuous while still living in her parents' home. See, when she, if she was engaged to this guy during this Kedushin period, that means she still lived with her parents. But it's saying that if she was found to be impure or if she had been promiscuous, they would literally throw rocks at her till she died because this was such a disgraceful thing. Well, (laughs) and so Joseph could have done this. See, this was a choice that he made. He could have done that, but it says instead, he covered over her and he decided that he was just like gonna just kind of put her away. Because imagine this now. Here's this guy who's he's probably in love with her. I would hope, I would assume. It's not, it's not for sure, but I would assume they were probably in love. And he's thinking she's one way. He's thinking she's this really virtuous woman. He's thinking she, they have the same standards. He's thinking she is a virgin, obviously, because he's going to marry her, and she's probably made that evident to him. And you know, he's, he's thinking these things. Plus, he's also thinking, wow, she's a liar. Like, I thought I knew her. Now, here she obviously slept with another man, and she's been lying to me this whole time. So imagine, this is what Joseph's going through during this time. And so he's thinking, well... I could take her down and have her stoned. I could have all the men of the town come and just chuck rocks at her and kill her. Or I could just quietly just put her away. And that's what he decided to do. So he was a really, he was a good guy. And it says he was also faithful. Matthew 1.20. As Joseph considered this, as he's trying to make the decision what is the right thing to do here, 
It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, said the angel, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Get that. He will save his people from their sins. It says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. This was the prophecy that had been given. This is what had been predicted. It said that the virgin will conceive a child. So this had already been foretold many, many years before this. It says, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's why when we sing those songs, when we sing songs about Emmanuel, it means God with us. So Joseph was honorable. He was an honorable guy. Uh, Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took Mary as his wife. Now think about this. What are the implications here for Joseph? What this means for Joseph is that his reputation is going to go to the dumps. Because everyone's going to assume that this baby is is his baby. They're going to do the math. And they're going to go, hmm... Those guys were still involved in their caduceus period, their first 12 months of their engagement. She conceived a child. He must be the father. And so Joseph was taking this huge risk. He was, I mean, he was sacrificing his own reputation. And he was also respectful. It says in verse 25, but he did not have, I did not have sexual relation. He did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. A lot of people didn't understand that because they're too young. Um, <laughs> but he didn't have sex with her. See, here, he, he let her move into his house, but he still honored her. He still didn't break his vows before he married her. Now, again, I I know I I mentioned this last week. We talked about Mary. She's the highly favored one. And we, we too, are are favored of God. We're God's favorite. Remember? Hittites, Girgashites, Israelites, favorites. We have favor. We are God's favorite. Mary was God's favorite, but she still had to go through all that, as did Joseph. He had to go through a lot. Okay, so the second stage of the engagement was a chuppah, which means that there could be no physical contact and they could have very little social contact. But here it's saying that he brought her into his home and and he covered her. And then it says, and he named him Jesus. We're going to talk today about our Joseph's. We're going to talk about the the men in our lives who were our earthly dads, whether our biological dad or whether our adopted dads. And I know that this topic can be really heavy, can be really deep. But as I mentioned earlier, it seems to be a tripping point for a lot of people. It seems to be a stopping point for a lot of people in moving on in their relationship with the Lord, in being able to actually experience God as a father. I know that if you had an abusive father or 
your father abandoned you or he died or your parents divorced or you were given up for adoption or any number of reasons can really be a major theme of pain in your life. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about our Heavenly Father and His love for us and how we can transfer all of those needs that we have for healing and deliverance and freedom from our earthly dad. We can transfer that to our Heavenly Father. A.W. Tozer says, what I believe about God is the most important thing about me. What I believe about who God is, is the most important thing about me because everything else hinges on that. If we believe that we are a child of God, if we believe that we are loved by God, if we believe we are forgiven and and embraced and accepted and affirmed by our heavenly father, that will change the way that we act. Amen? Right? You know, when Jesus talks about God, he he refers to him as his father. Hundred, over 150 times, Jesus refers to God as a father. Did you know in the Old Testament, it's less than 15 times that God is referred to as father? I'll talk to you about a couple of the incidents, but God was not considered a father until Jesus came and completely changed that relationship that we have with our heavenly father. It says over 30 times when Jesus refers to him as our Father, one of them being when he teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Jesus is the one who really opens that up for us to be able to view the creator of the universe as our daddy, as our, as our father, as our papa. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That is the love that God is yearning for us to understand. God longs for us to embrace his love. He wants us to have a revelation of his love. That is why he came. That's why he sent his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a story about a city in Spain, and a father was trying to find his son. They had lost contact. And so this father is trying to find his son. So he wrote him a letter. He said, Paco, please meet me at the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. Love your father. It's said that over 800 Pacos showed up on Saturday. That's how many people yearned to have a relationship who happened to be named Paco. (laughs) Dads have a, I don't know what it is. I don't know, I'm not sure I don't understand the implications of it, but there's something very unique about the relationship of a father. You ever notice little kids like at the swimming pool or at the gym? I mean gym, at the... (laughs) Little kids don't go to the gym. They don't need to. Um, At the park, little kids, daddy, 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 watch. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And daddy's on his phone, right? But the little kid will keep saying that till daddy watches him do some amazing, incredible thing like jump in the pool. It's like nothing but to that kid. Daddy, daddy, pay attention. 
Daddy, be impressed by me. Daddy, look at me. Daddy, affirm me. Encourage me. And we never outgrow that. We never outgrow our daddy issues. You can be healed and delivered and set free. But ultimately, we always want the approval of our daddy. We always want to know that our daddy's watching us and caring for us and loving us. Second Corinthians 6. It says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Almighty Lord. I will be a father to you. I don't know why, what the uniqueness is, but the role of a dad is so important. I'm going to tell you some stories today, some real stories um, about real people that I've walked with. The first one is Julie. The, the names have been changed, of course. It's Julie. Um, her dad was a very significant person in the community, very important person. Had a lot of uh, high power roles and was very well respected. Devoted his whole life to community service. But when he was home, Julie's dad was totally checked out. Julie's dad never noticed her. So what ended up happening was that Julie had these needs to be affirmed and approved of and, and had have her daddy pay attention to her. So what she did was she developed daddy issues. She developed issues where she needed the affection and the attention of men. So she became promiscuous, got involved in drugs, developed an eating disorder, and pretty much messed up her life. Still looking for those daddy issues, or the, still looking for daddy's attention and affection. The second one is Angel. Angel's mom and dad divorced when she was two. And her father took her into his bed as, as his bed partner after that. And continued for years to molest her and to abuse her. Derek is a guy whose dad never paid attention to him, told him for years and years and years he was worthless. He was never going to amount to anything. So Derek decided he was going to prove his dad wrong and he was going to become somebody. So he became a really significant figure, a political figure who made millions and millions of dollars, but he never outgrew his daddy issues. He never outgrew that need to know that he was accepted and that what he did was enough and that he was good enough. He never outgrew it. And there's Evan. Evan's dad experienced a lot of trauma in his childhood, so once he had kids, he began to abuse them, beat them every day. So Evan grew up harming himself, using drugs, became angry himself, 
And there's Kyle. Kyle grew up in a pastor's home. So of course he turned out right. Because everybody knows pastor's kids are all perfect, right? That's sarcasm. Kyle grew up in a pastor's home where his dad was up on stage every week. Everybody looked to him as a spiritual, godly man. But when Kyle's dad was home, Kyle said that he never talked to him, never talked to him about the Lord, never mentioned the things of the Bible, never shared Christ with him. And actually, he had written books. The pastor had written these books on parenting. And somebody said to him one time, wow, Kyle, it must be so awesome to have this dad who's so committed to being such a good parent. And Kyle's like, I don't know, every time I ever went into his office to talk to him, he always said he was too busy. He was writing his book. So he wrote the book, finished the book, but he didn't, didn't pour into his own child. And then there's Kenzie. Kenzie's dad died when she was two. So she grew up not having a dad. She still has a void in her heart. And Michaela, whose dad was an alcoholic and used to beat her mom every day. I mean, these are all extreme. I know these are extreme cases. There's Bryce, whose dad took his own life. I want you to know, if you are a dad in here right now, I want you to understand I am not bashing you. I am not in any way bashing you. I want you to understand the significance and the importance of, first of all, reconciling things between your earthly father, whether that means you need to forgive him, to release him, to, to extend grace to him, I mean, I, I told somebody after first service, she goes, she goes, my dad died. How do, I, how do I deal with that? I said, you can still forgive a dead guy, right? Just because somebody's dead doesn't mean that you don't still have issues with them. You still have to work through those issues. It's still really, really important. Louis Giglio wrote a book I would highly recommend. It's called Not Forsaken. Finding Freedom as Sons and Daughters of a Perfect Father. And this is his premise, and I love this. He says, God is not the reflection of your earthly father. He is the perfection of a father. So often we, we insult God by putting him in this little tiny box and comparing him to our earthly dad, who is imperfect. Every single person in this room had an imperfect father, there's only one perfect father, and that is God the Father. God is not just a bigger version of your dad. So if you had an angry dad, God's just not a bigger version of an angry dad. Or if your dad was abandoned you, that doesn't mean that, that God the Father is going to abandon you. It just means that your earthly father was human, just like you are. And you know, I want to say, if you don't know your, your parents' story, or your grandparents' story, you might want to find out. It might give you some really good insight. Ask them, ask them to tell you about what it was like growing up, what their childhood was like. There was um, a little boy who asked his mommy for um, 
for money. He was, he was going to play football. He was eight years old, and he said, Mommy, can you give me money to buy a football uniform? And the mom said, um, well, why don't you go ask your daddy? He goes, well, I would, but I don't really know him very well. There was a little boy who had cancer, and he knew he was going to die, and his dad said, are you afraid? And the little boy goes, Daddy, if God's anything like you, then I am not afraid to meet him. You know, your, your relationship with your dad can just set so many things in motion. Psalm 68 says, God is the father of the fatherless. If you are a person who is fatherless, either through death or through abandonment or even through emotional abandonment, or just you're just estranged, or, or you, you know your dad, but you don't really know your dad, and he certainly doesn't know you. It says, God is the father of the fatherless, and the protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And I just know today, the Lord wants to bring some freedom. He wants to bring some deep healing to our hearts. He wants to teach us to transfer that need from our earthly dad. I remember, and I don't want to dishonor my dad at all because I absolutely love my dad. And we are, we're good. We've really reconciled. But there were years where I was yearning. I wanted so badly his, atten his attention and his affection and his affirmation. And I remember my husband asking me one time, he said, why are you expecting this broken man to fulfill you? How are you expecting someone who's not free himself to offer you anything? And that was really freeing for me because I began to transfer all of my need my need for affection, my need for affirmation, my need for definition, my need for love, my need for forgiveness, my need for understanding, I began to transfer that to the Lord instead of expecting it from this imperfect man who I love deeply. But I know that there are those of you here and you can't even relate to what that would be like. But I believe the Holy Spirit is saying right now, I want to say, I want to show you that I affirm you. I approve of you. You are enough. I think so often we think, oh, I have to do this and this and this and this and then I'll earn God's love. No. God already loves you. He already loves you perfectly. He doesn't love everything you do, but you don't love everything you do, so that's how that works. God already loves you perfectly. He already affirms you. He already embraces you. He's already, you know, it's like, it's like he, he is sitting there. I, I've told you guys this story, so forgive me for repeating myself, but it was such a profound moment. This one time I was just worshiping the Lord, and all of a sudden I had this profound sense that it's like God was just there, like he was paying attention to me. And that's how he is. It's, it's like he's like, you don't have to go, Daddy, watch, Daddy, watch, Daddy, watch, Daddy. He's already watching. He's like, he's paying attention to you. He is, he is looking at you with so much affection. 
He's not expecting you to earn his love. He's already freely given it. And so this morning, I really want to I really want us to pray together and to really receive that and to accept that from the Lord. But I also want to take it a step further. And I want to talk, I especially want to talk to you men. I want to really challenge you men this morning. Forgive yourself if you're a dad. Please do not receive any condemnation here. God's mercies are new every morning. If there are things you need to repent for, if you, if you need to ask for forgiveness, by all means, ask for forgiveness, but don't beat yourself up. Receive God's grace. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his freedom. But I want to challenge you to become a dad. And I, and I don't mean biologically. I'm talking about spiritually Become a dad. Start pouring into somebody. Even if you have your own children, of course, pour into them. But adopt a kid. I mean, mentor someone. Begin to just go out and have, have a burger with someone. Begin to, to pour into someone who is fatherless, spiritually speaking. I really want to challenge you. It says here, 1 Corinthians 4, 14, it says, Paul is saying this. He says, I'm writing this. Now, Paul is Paul the Apostle. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ or 10,000 teachers, it says, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is how it says that same passage in the message. I love the message version. It says, I'm not writing all of this as a neighborhood school just to make you feel rotten. I'm writing this as a father to you, my children. I love you and I want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are lots of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing myself. What I'm challenging you men is to adopt somebody. Maybe start to, to teach in the kids' ministry. I mean, that's such a great place where you can learn so much about how God looks at you with those little kids. Or in the youth ministry. Or in the young adults. Or in the preteens. Or just adopt somebody. Take them out. Say, hey, let's, let's go through the book of Colossians together. Or let's go through. And I know there are a lot of men that are already doing this. But I really want to challenge you guys. Step it up. And become a dad to somebody. Begin to speak words of affirmation to some guy who needs it. Find somebody. Pray that God would send you somebody. And we can connect you. If you want, if you, if you want us to connect you with someone, we can do that for you. Could I invite the worship team to come back up? We are going to pray right now, if you wouldn't mind standing. We are going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to do a supernatural transference of our, our need and our burden and our brokenness from our earthly dads to the heavenly Father, to the one, and even when I say heavenly Father, it sounds so formal to our Abba Father, our Daddy God, our Papa. I, I know this is kind of a heavy message, 
but I, I really feel like, you know, part of this, even during Christmas time, it's a lot of this stuff comes up. You know, a lot of these emotions can come up. So would you mind just holding your hands out like this if, if you want to receive something new and fresh from the Holy Spirit today? <sighs> Father, we come before you, Papa, Daddy, Abba. We come before you, Lord, and we thank you in the name of Jesus, Lord, that that even though our earthly fathers failed in some ways, some in many ways, some weren't even around, Lord, we thank you that you are good and you are whole and you are perfect and you love us perfectly, Lord, and that you say, God, that you pour out your spirit on us, you pour out your love, that you, you accept us. Lord, and so we just come into your presence right now. Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would allow your, your presence to just break the chains, that you would allow people who are wounded and debilitated by their pain, by their rejection, by the abuse, by the abandonment, by all the things that could be stirred up, just by the lack of approval. Lord, I just pray, God, you would come in and heal Bring your healing power, Lord. We just transfer all of those needs that we have been putting on our earthly dads, whether they're alive or whether they're, they've passed on, Lord, and we transfer that need to you because we know that you can handle it. Let your healing power rest in this place. And we thank you, Lord, in advance for the things that you want to do, for the relationships that you want to mend, for even our own, our own way of seeing our earthly dads. Thank you that you're healing even, the, even our view. Lord, give us the strength to forgive. Let us extend grace, Lord, the same way you extend grace to us. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name.